Get in the Van. It's the title of Henry Rollins's book of diary entries while he was in Black Flag, published in 1994. But the title also summed up what every person in a band dreams of doing, leaving town and joining the circus. And that's pretty much what our band did. Galvanized by the statement, it became a mantra that fueled us. We took it literally. We bought a van, an old beat-up Sears van to be specific, wrote some songs, and pretty much did what magazines like MRR challenged us to do, maximum rock and roll. We booked our own fucking life. Life in a van is something that is often romanticized and idealized by people on the outside who have never done a tour and by people on the inside who basically try and make their misery sound fun in order to lure company. We all know the excitement of tearing out into the open road on those first hours of the tour, but those who know, know the feeling you get when the tour starts to settle. It's like getting waterboarded by monotony and boredom. Hour after hour after hour, staring at an endless road of nothing. If you've ever wondered how bands, even successful bands, break up, it's often not because of gigantic dramatic incidents, but more often than not, out of the tedium that rears its head during long drives in close quarters, cramped in a stinky van for hours and hours on end. Sometimes it might be as little as the way a person pronounces a word, or chews their food, or holds their cutlery, or their choice of music on the shared stereo that is enough to jump out of the van while it's moving to save your sanity. In regards to the stereo, we've luckily always had a shared interest in comedy. Even a great song can lull someone into a trance, and driving on the road, a trance is the wrong state of mind to get into. Comedy has always had the ability to bring up morale on long-ass drives and keep the driver up during nighttime red-eye runs. And this brings me to this episode's guest, comedian Jim Florentine. I will never forget how we met Jim Florentine. We had been doing grueling tours of America all throughout 2005 to little fanfare. But we were making headway in certain parts of the country. In Philadelphia, we were getting airplay at WYSP and had been invited to participate in their Babe Fest event, which was being hosted that year by Gene Simmons. There would be other guests and comedians as well. When we visited the radio station to promote the event, one of the participating comedians introduced himself, said he'd been turned on to our band by Jason McMaster, and had some of our albums, and my head started reeling when he started to speak. It was a voice, a very distinct voice that I had heard before, but where? In a matter of seconds, my brain snapped to attention and did an instant recall. This guy was the voice behind all those crank phone calls we had been listening to in the van that had kept us in stitches all across the U.S. That voice was Jim's. I can't remember exactly what I said to him, but we struck up an instant friendship that endures to this day. What made the moment even heavier was Gene Simmons, of all people, walked through the doors only minutes later, and everybody was a bit taken aback. A surreal moment on a couple of levels for sure. After that, 
Jim and I realized we had a lot in common when it came to comedy and music. We were both students of these schools, the School of Motorhead, the School of Black Sabbath, and the School of Andrew Dice Clay, except we were in different classes. And there's always been this mutual respect. Jim even starred in our Code of the Road music video. He's the bus driver in the video Driving Our Bus. Anyways, shortly thereafter, Jim introduced us to his comedy partner in crime and Meet the Creeps co-conspirator, Don Jameson, and the rest is history. Jim and Don released six terrorizing telemarketers' crank phone call CDs and three volumes of Meet the Creeps DVDs, which kind of took those crank phone calls and brought them to life. And of course, Jim's released four stand-up comedy records, Get the Kids Out of the Room, Anger is a Gift, Cringe and Purge, and A Simple Man. But he's also gone a step further and released a very impressive one-man stage show called I'm Your Savior, that is equal parts stand-up comedy and autobiographical spoken word performance. And that's what distinguishes Jim from many of his peers. But don't get me wrong, he also put out awful jokes from my first comedy notebook that is cringe-inducing, brave, and pretty damn hilarious. Much like Don Jameson, Jim's approach to comedy and comedy records is much in tone with how we approach what we do, a very blue-collar, nose-to-the-grindstone way of just cranking material out, much like bands and comedians did back in the day. Jim and Don hit pay dirt when they both co-hosted VH1's That Metal Show with Eddie Trunk that ran for 14 seasons on VH1 and hit home with the entire hard rock and heavy metal community. It will forever associate both those guys to that kind of music, and I don't think they would have it any other way. Jim's got a book being released this February called Everybody is Awful Except You, and an upcoming comedy special called I Got the House. Jim should have been on this podcast years ago, but that's the way things go. I'm just so happy to have him on here now, finally. So without further ado, thanks to Blue Mic Microphones and Skull Candy Headphones, Jim Florentine is this episode's guest on the official Danko Jones podcast, and it starts now. The Danko Jones podcast is the best around. Nick Flanagan and his Danko's crew will tell for free. I'm sad, but I like to sometimes get me in from fucked up. Stop playing hang down, down. There's only one podcast to listen to in this world. And that's the Danko Jones podcast. Don't be a dick. Listen to the Danko Jones Podcast! I began to notice that Danko was completely nuts. He'd suddenly start making weird sounds and scary faces for no reason at all. And it, it wasn't just embarrassing, it, it was alarming. And now since I'm a devout Catholic, I asked my local parish priest about Danko's condition, and he was sure Danko was possessed by Satan. So I helped my priest perform an exorcism on Danko that very day, but it didn't work. The dude is seriously screwed, and according to my parish priest, will burn in hell for all of eternity if he doesn't get himself checked out. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, 
get ready because the Danko Jones podcast starts now. Hello? Hey, Jim. What's going on? Hey, man, nothing much. How you doing? Can you hear me? Hello? I can hear you now. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, this, uh, did a, I don't know if you got the new iPhone 8 yet. Now you need another cord. I got the iPhone 7, I think, and I, yeah, you need that little adapter. Yeah, so now you got to carry more cords with you. <laughs> I still have the old school iPod because I got most of my music on there. I haven't transferred it to my phone because I got barely any room in my phone to carry anything. So now if I listen to that, I have to have another cord. <laughs> I have the old school iPod too. Yeah, because uh, I got all that music on there. I'm like, I'll just leave it on here. Yeah. Because the phone is too bulky. Like if you're in the gym or you got it in your pocket, it's too bulky. So I'd rather have the little iPod. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. Uh, They've got the iPhones now with uh, like a memory space of, I don't know, over 100 gigs now. You can buy a version of that. So, Yeah, I I think I have that. I got a lot of video and stuff on there and pictures, so that takes up most of it. Yeah, that's what eats it all up. So, So, I mean, it's been like I got to first of all start off saying sorry to you because you should have been on this podcast fucking years ago i mean you know the the history you and i have you know together you should have been on like one of the first episodes but it took took this long i mean don's been on twice yeah i know i know he told me he was on yeah no i know you've been doing it for look we're all we're all busy you're busy i'm busy we got a million things going on it the jim norton has a podcast that i haven't done yet either yeah, and we're like best friends. Like, dude, I go, yeah, we'll, we'll do it. It's no big deal. Yeah, yeah. So it's you know, I I totally understand. I and it wasn't anything like every time I'd see your name, I'd be like, oh, I got to get him on the podcast. I just didn't even think. And then I was like, because this is the first episode of 2018, and then uh, like a couple of weeks before I reached out to you, I was like, it would be great if I could start 2018 with Jim, and then that would be a good way to start the year. So uh, that's awesome. Yeah. So it's great to have you here. I mean, it's a finally you're on the podcast and man, we've known each other now for like fucking 13, 14 years. Um, it's actually kind of crazy. And the, one of the reasons, like there was a few podcasts that really inspired me to start mine, but before, but, but the episode you did with Rudy Sarzo at Scotty slams place, I listened yeah. to like maybe two, three times, and that is really the episode, if I can really nail it down, where I said to myself that I think this is a viable medium because the episode was so interesting. I think I would love to jump in and try my hand at it because hearing you talk to Rudy, it was really it really made the medium for me, like being into music, oh, you could do this podcast thing and have it be about music and have it be really interesting it was that episode with you and rudy that really kind of got me going to do this podcast so you've played a crucial role whether you realize it or not on on this existing well just give me 10 percent of what do you make Z- uh, zero 
I make sense. <laughs> no, I know, I know. <laughs> Tell me about it. No, you know, that was my first podcast back in 2011. Yeah, yeah. That was the first one I did ever. And it, it was and, um, Scotty Slam. No, I, you know, I, I've been a huge Rudy fan and stuff, and he, I was out in California, and Scott, my buddy Scotty, you know him too, yeah. just said, hey, man, we could do it right in my house. I got the equipment and all that stuff, so we did it there, and... And then I changed my format over the years, but still, yeah. I mean, just to get to Rudy for my first one was huge. Yeah, and I get it because you were kind of, it seemed like you were doubling up because you were doing VH1, that metal show, and it was kind of like that anyways. So you were, you, I, I could see why you would, you would change the format for the podcast. I didn't want to bother the guys, you know, coming in to do a TV show. I didn't want to bother them. Go, hey, man, can you spend an extra hour yeah. and <clears throat> do a podcast with me? You know, especially I don't know how to network would have taken it too. Yeah. So that's why I didn't even, I'm like, I'm not even going to get involved in that. I don't want to, you know, who knows what they got going on afterwards. They're in New York or maybe they got to, when we did it in California, they got to go back home or something. So I just, so I just decided. And plus, you know, I'm in Jersey. I'm about a half hour outside of New York City. Yeah. It's tough to get guests too, you know, and I don't want to do it from my house. So I basically just said, I'm just going to do it by myself. And I'm just going to rant each week about something different. <laughs> and I could do it in my hotel room when I'm on the road or whatever. So it's easier not booking guests. Yeah, yeah. No, I get it. I get it. Um, but the way you went deep in with Rudy, and, and, you know, Rudy was open to it. But the way you guys talked about it, and, man, it was really cool. I thought, man, this would be a great medium for me to do. It would be a great time killer, which is really what I do the podcast for on the road. Um, it's a great way I edit these podcasts on the road. That's it. It's just a time killer on days off, you know? Right. Yeah. But, uh, the one thing I, I wanted to talk to you about, cause we haven't really talked in a while and just to catch up is, uh, something I mentioned with Don, you two are both comedians and I've always been on comedians about, man, just put records out like they used to a lot back in the day. I find a lot of comedians these days are gunning for that sitcom or they're gunning for that movie role and they're not putting their material down for posterity the way like George Carlin did and, and Richard Pryor did. And you and Don are people, two comedians who are so prolific with your, you know, your comedy records that it's really admirable. And I, I love I, I really love it when, when comedians put out records, especially these days, because not a lot do it anymore. Um, and you're one who consistently does it. It's really impressive. I, I've because I've always been the I've always taken the band mentality, even with my career as a stand up comic to, you know, get just if 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 Hollywood's not going to take you, if you're a little too rough around the edges or whatever it is, yeah. you're not kissing enough ass go do it on your own, almost like a band, you know, like a punk rock band. Go go, go book a rock club, sell your merchandise, get your name out there, put an album out, they'll support you, they'll tell five friends, five more friends will come see, and that's why I built up my audience. And I've always been that way. So I said, I'll just, put, I'll just keep putting records out. If, if there's no label, then I'll put it out myself. It's no big deal. And I, you know, the, the first telemarketer CD I put out back in 2000, I was just bored and telemarketers called my house and I recorded all the calls and I put it out as a CD just to sell out my shows. And within like a year of that thing being out, I, I got on Howard Stern's show and then I was on Crank Anchors, a prank call TV show, just from putting that out. 
like and just having it out there. If I never did that, I would have never been on Crank Anchors and I wouldn't have got on Howard Stern. Yeah. And it totally changed my career. Yeah, I mean, those phone calls is how I found out about you. And I knew your voice before I met you. Um, that's how I, I don't know if you remember, but it was back in Philadelphia. You walked into the studio and I was like, holy shit, you're the, you're that guy. <laughs> We've been listening to you on the road, like on, on all our tours. And even to this day, I mean, it wasn't it last year that you put out two releases. Yeah. That's no, two years ago I put out two. Yeah, that's insane. I mean, that's really that's crazy because it takes some comedians like five years or six years to put out one. You're cranking them out like they used to in the seventies. Well, the one I put out, the one was um, I was <clears throat> moving. I was going through my old stuff, and I found my first comedy notebooks. Oh, that from the yeah. early nineteen nineties <laughs> yeah, yeah, when yeah. I first started doing comedy, and I started going through them, and the jokes were so bad. <laughs> I'm like, I can't believe I, I, I mean, I seriously, I wanted to get it out of my house. Like I just found kitty porn. That's how bad it was. Right. Right. Like I was even going to go dump them. I even had them in my car. I was going to go dump them in New York city, like at a trash can on the corner. I didn't want to dump it at my house in case my garbage man found it. <laughs> That's how bad they were. And then I, I said, you know what? I'm going to put these on a podcast. I'm going to read them on a podcast. What the hell? And when I did it, people went crazy. Go, these are so bad that it's actually funny. And then I wound up putting a, a CD. I went in the recording studio and just read them from my notebook yeah with no audience no nothing because i'm like these jokes don't deserve any laughs well because there isn't any so i'm just gonna do it and i and so that was one of the albums i put out it went like top five on uh, the billboard comedy charts yeah awful jokes from my first comedy notebook right that was what yeah. it was called. now did you do a show um of just those jokes like live did you i ever was do it gonna live? I, I was planning on doing a dvd i still could possibly do it yeah filming it yeah. where i go into a small comedy club in new york and i just i do it like unannounced yeah he yeah. knows who i am and i and i do those jokes and every time someone laughs a big bouncer throws them out <laughs> until there's nobody left right <laughs> and just drag them out through the tables and stuff like every because there's no reason to laugh at it right. until there's nobody left in the crowd so i'm still thinking about maybe doing that one day oh that that is hilarious man i mean it's fun. I mean, because everybody knows everyone's in on the joke, it is funny. It does become funny. I mean, you can't help but laugh. Well, this crowd wouldn't know. Like, that would be the right, thing that this right. crowd would have no idea. I would just go to, like, some maybe, like, hipster club in Brooklyn or something or wherever. <laughs> Someone doesn't know me. I can even put a disguise on. I just start going up there like a, like a, I'll even use a different name and just start doing those jokes. Right. Oh, man. That would be, that would be great. And then you did um, something that, that is actually really kind of different than it's a comedy record or a comedy release, but it's different, which is I'm Your Savior, um, which I thought was really brave and, and a, a very different that a comedian would do something like that. Um, what was the reaction from, from everyone about I'm Your Savior? Um, I think, you know, most people liked it. Other people weren't so sure about it. it was a one-man show i basically did in my life and yeah and the death of my ex-girlfriend and stuff and i went through the whole thing and told the story i don't know i just felt like i had a story to tell and i'm like this really doesn't work in a comedy club it was like a one-man show i was always intrigued by it. i used to see john leguizamo always do those one-man shows 
on Broadway, and then even Colin Quinn when he does his little one-man shows. I, I, thought, <laughs> I thought it, it was would great. work better. So I did it through you know pictures and slideshow, and just talked about all the you know basically my whole life of dating dating troubled women, and it just finally finally came to a a tragic end and how I recovered from it. Yeah, because I mean, a lot of people know you, uh, you know, through the metal world, and and let's face it, comedy is really the new rock and roll. And there's a lot of machismo and a lot of posturing. So to be really open and and let yourself be, you know, open like that, I thought was pretty brave. And and I think you pulled it off quite well. You know, it was still a lot like it was still really humorous, really lighthearted and funny. But and it, when it got heavy, it wasn't like preachy. You know, I didn't find yeah, it. You know, because I've done that whole macho you know thing and i know how to do that on stage and that was a lot of part of my early career you know and it's like i want to do something different yeah you know i mean i know i like i said i know i could do that and i said let me just try you know something a little different and uh and see what happens with and it's like hey it's almost like a band that does like a side project that's a little weird and different from what their regular band is it's like okay if you don't want to buy it it's no big deal yeah but if you do, that's fine too. You know what I mean? Like when Metallica does like Lulu with Lou Reed. You know, I didn't, I didn't, I never mind when bands do that as a little side project, get that little thing, their yeah. creative juices out of the way, and then they go back to doing their regular thing. So that's the way I looked at that. Yeah, because it still did contain jokes and stuff. Like it was still humorous and lighthearted. Um, there is, there was points there that were, you know, pretty funny. Um, yeah. But yeah, like I said, yeah, like so, when it got heavy and got dark, it didn't get preachy. You know, you you didn't. You know. Yeah, well, I tried to do it. You know, like it was weird, man, because coming from a comedy club where you're expecting laughs, right? And for a comic, when when there's silence, that's deadly for you. Yeah, that yeah. thirty seconds or a minute of silence feels like an hour up there. Right, right. And yeah. then I had to really learn that if if they're listening in like a little theater. That means they're. I mean, if there's no there's no laughter, that means they're listening. So you don't have to go for the joke every 10, 15 seconds like in, in a comedy club. Right. So it's okay if it's quiet. That means they're listening. And it really messed with me for a long time. You know, I probably did the show about twenty times before I filmed it. It really threw me off. I'm like, oh man, I feel like I'm bombing, but I wasn't. They were just listening. Wow, I I never even thought about that, but yeah, I get it. I get it. But also coming from the school of dice. You know, Dice put out records where there was silence and, you know, did you take from that at least? Like, okay, well, there's a precedent. No, because he was, cause he was doing that on purpose. He was torturing his audience on right. purpose. Right, okay. He loved doing that. Like, he's like, I'm just going to have no material and just yell at people and, you know, and see what happens. Right, right. Well, that- um, no, I just said, you know, I'm telling a story and I can't, you know, sometimes there's not a punchline, even though you want to go for it. It's almost go going for the easy laugh. Yeah, right. You yeah. know, there's a lot of stuff I put in there. I'm like, no, nah, I got to take that. It does, this isn't a funny moment. It doesn't need a joke here. And how long did it take for you to prepare? I'm your savior. I probably wrote it. For, I probably I did it for about two years. I wrote it and then I finally got up on on stage and did it. I would do it at like a comedy club near me on like a Wednesday night. I would do like every Wednesday night. There'd be like six people in the audience, nine, nine people. And I would just work it out there, work out the lines, film it, figure out what I needed to do. And just, you know, wow. yeah, I did it about 20 times. And then I finally just filmed it. I said, let me just see what this is going to go. 
I'm done with it because I was almost not feeling it anymore. Right, right. You know, at the end, I talked about the death of my ex-girlfriend, and I just, it was getting to the point where I wasn't, a, it wasn't, I wasn't emotionally attached to it as much. I was starting to heal from it, so it wasn't yeah. as painful. So I said, right. let me get it when it's real, still really painful. Wow. Wow, that's, yeah, that's, I mean, it takes a lot to do that. Because, I mean, I, I let's face it, a lot of comedians are comedians because their lives are, you know, tumultuous and heavy and and that's why they use humor to to fight it so to expose that is is i think really pretty brave and and heavy you know a lot a lot of comedians would rather just keep telling the jokes um so i thought i thought when i heard i'm your savior i was like wow that's pretty that's pretty cool that he he was able to do that so yeah i thought that was cool um, well, you wait till you see my next special because it's all about my divorce. It's called "I Got the House." <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that a great title? Oh my god, that is so! Gr- I mean, you got great titles. I mean, all your stuff always is bang on. Um, yeah, so the, yeah, and that gets pretty personal too about everything that went down too. It's pretty heavy, but it's it's funny. It's not as nearly as heavy as uh, uh, I'm Your Savior, but there's some really good stuff in there. Well, that okay, so that begs the question, like, is it reminiscent of I'm Your Savior? Like, or is it going to be like a full comedy album? It's a full comedy album. Right. Definitely, right. yeah. But there's definitely some serious moments, and I go through what, what, exactly what happened, what went down, and all that stuff. So there's definitely some serious moments in there. But, it, you know, it's way more comedy than I'm Your Savior. Right, right. And but it's it, kind of like, oof, it's kind of uncomfortable to listen to, which I always like. I always liked Uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. But uh, so I'm Your Savior was released after certain things had happened to you personally that, that you know what I mean? Like when was I'm Your Savior released though? Wasn't it released quite a many years after all those Yeah, incidents? it was because, yeah, um, I you know, because I, I filmed it and we were shopping it around. Right. And, you know, like Comedy Central thought it was too serious. They're like, this is too serious. We can't put it on our channel. Like, God forbid you, you don't have five minutes of, of nonstop laughs on Comedy Central, which barely, there's barely any laughs on there to begin with. <laughs> you know, when they're still showing the Chappelle show from 2004. Yeah. You know, every day for like six hours a day. Yeah. You know, so so that and then Netflix was like, nah, this isn't our thing, you know, whatever. So, I was, you know, we shopped it around for a year or two and then I just self-released it because it wasn't, you know, no one was going to pick it up because they just thought it was too whatever. Who knows? You know, you never know what, what what's going to work and what's not. Well, I mean, that's that. But as long as I got it out there, every at yeah. this point, everybody can find whatever you put out there. Yeah. No, as, as long as you got it up on iTunes and it's on Amazon, people can find it and get it. I, I always compare comedians with rock, rock people in rock bands because it's very similar. But these days I find the comedians are the real rock stars because they're the ones who live on the edge most of the time. You know, these days rock stars are into vegan diets and checking their email. And I don't know, every single time you've introduced me to someone, whenever I've met you, you've always been with some other comedian who you're 
playing with or touring with. And it's always like, oh, yeah, this guy, you know, smells his own farts or this guy pees on himself. Right. Like, it's always some crazy fucking trick this friend of yours does. And it just beats any kind of rock and roll rock guy in a band their antics, you know. It's, if they're getting drunk and they're getting belligerent after the show in the dressing room, I can always go, this is nothing, man. I know some comedian who can, like, lay a fart that will decimate this whole club. <laughs> yeah, it's either that or whatever. Yeah, I know. You know, the problem with, the, well, you know, in music, I think the bands realize that it's a real, you know, it's a business. Yeah. And you basically got, you know, you better make sure you're on time, you do your set, you do all this. There's no more, you know unless you're a huge band you really can't just mess up like they did back in the 80s and not show up be an hour late you know just trashing hotel rooms yeah beating people up you know drug dealers hookers <laughs> all that stuff like you know it's a big company like a live nation or something like that or ag won't take a chance on you like i don't know man I, these they're too out of control yeah so you kind of have to be on the straight now on a band and you know there's good money out there if you could find that niche and you're like hey man Let's put it all in the show, and and uh, you know we want to make a living doing this. We're sick of dr- driving around in a van our whole lives. <laughs> As a comic, you could still kind of like is, get drunk before you go on stage. Everybody gets high. They're smoking pot, so there's still that element. We're like, hey, as long as he's funny up there, we're yeah, good. yeah, yeah. As long as you can tell the jokes and make the crowd laugh. Yeah, it's true. I mean, that's why to me, I'm so more tuned into like comedians because it is. It reminds me of when I first was got fascinated with rock music because these guys were larger than life to me. So yeah, I always compare comedians with, with rock people. <laughs> like the last one, last like crazy rock show I saw was Scott Weiland with stone temple pilots, probably like 2007. They got back for a little while and he wouldn't get off his tour bus to go on stage. <laughs> Everybody's waiting. It's like a home show. Right. Where, you know, the DeLeo brothers grew up, so they had a bunch of friends and family there. And he's <laughs> I knew the backstage guy, and he was telling me, yeah, he won't come off the bus. He locked the door. And, and then he comes out, and he's all drunk, and he's trying to take his jacket off as he's singing his first song, and he can't get it off. Right. Like a little kid. It was, it was, and, it, and he was slurring his words, and he apologized to the DeLeo brothers on stage, and it was like just looking straight ahead. They were so mad. And I'm like, this is awesome. I haven't seen something <laughs> like this in a long time. I mean, if you go to a rock show to hear the songs performed perfectly, then you're going for the wrong reasons. Um, so, yeah, I get it. Um, yeah, like, I mean, that's why a lot of people said Axl Rose is, is the last rock star. I mean, he, he, well, yeah, I know, because you never knew what he was going to do. Now he's on the straight and narrow, and now you're like, okay. Everyone's like, he's got to be messing up, right? He's not showing up on time. He's walking off stage. Like, no, they're doing no. 27 songs a night. They're playing yeah. three hours and 15 minutes. Yeah, it's insane how long they go for. It's now, that's why I always like seeing your band. I remember there was this rock club in Orlando. You were opening for some punk band. Oh, uh, I don't the remember who it was, and some guy heckled you in the crowd. Yeah, the I always liked how you went out the crowd. You were like a comic. Some guy goes, "You're not punk rock," and then you said something. Like, well, you're wearing a um, like or something. You slammed them, and the crowd went crazy. And then you went right into another song. <laughs> I was like, uh, I think that kid was like 12 years old, wearing a black flag shirt. I remember yeah. that because you were in the crowd. I'm like, okay, I gotta, I gotta make gym. <laughs> I gotta gyms in the crowd, man. I can't just like you know. So I felt the pressure there. From you, but you said something like he got that. You got that T-shirt at Hot Topic. At Hot Topic, that's punk rock <laughs> yeah, that's what I said. And 
Um, and then the amp blew blew up. That's well, that was the worst. And so it was just it was a rough tour in Florida with the adolescents, but uh, we lived through it. But the that show where you were at, I was like, okay, well, if Jim's here, I got to step up my game. I gotta I gotta talk a little longer between the songs. I feel it always when 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 someone uh, you know when you're in the crowd. I gotta I gotta perform for the back of the room like I always do. Um, so yeah, no, I, I love that that you did that, and then like because you 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 like you like it seems like you get off on opening for bands that you're not supposed to open for so the crowd's <laughs> not on your side and you try to win them over it is that you yell at them if they if they if they're not starting to come around and eventually they respect you you yeah. open for some band in new york city at webster hall oh. i think it was another canadian band they were more our like lady a radio peace. band yeah our lady peace huh? it was our lady peace Yes, yeah, and I was at that show too, and they all their fans were just staring at you like the the band, your band, when you play like the first three or four songs, and then you just started laying into them, and they go, yeah, I like this guy. I was standing in the middle of the crowd, like this guy's funny, I like that, and then all of a sudden, like this, this is a good band. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 it. That was really that was the year that we played with anybody who would take us, and uh, we played with yeah as wide ranging as the adolescence to our lady peace and and god knows who else we played with it was just every every show would be a different crowd and you know sometimes it's i think it's the true test to see if you can you know you can win them over it's always a challenge and if you don't well you don't like what what can you do um it sucks but at the same time i enjoy i enjoy the the uh, the game I like the game. The of challenge. You the know, challenge. that's the same thing when I open for rock bands like Slayer, Megadeth, Anthrax. Yeah. I want to tour with Black Label Society. It's like I, I want a new challenge. I know I yeah. can do it in a comedy club and it's great and everything, but I want to I want to see if I could do this. Well, now, okay, so people knew you from that metal show, but there's always a certain percentage no matter how exposed you are that won't know who you are and go, "Why is he up here?" So what were what were the crowds that were like the worst or the crowds you won over? Yeah, well, thank God. I mean, I was I got hired because of that metal show, but so about seventy percent of the crowd knew who I was, right. which was yeah. good. Yeah, but that only gives you in a rock in a venue in arena that gives you about a minute and a half before they start hating you. <laughs> right. So you better get to whatever you got to get to. So you know. I knew that going in, like I'm, I got to get them right away, and I had to do like three five minute sets in between each band, between before Anthrax, before Megadeth, and before Slayer. So Jeez. the first when I went out with Anthrax, it was like seven o'clock. The venue was like a three quarters empty, so it was easy. They were fine. They were listening. It was good. By the time Megadeth came on, you know the venue's like three quarters full, and people getting drunk and stuff. And I would just go, "Hey, I'm I'm going to be the MC and host. I got to do five minutes." I'm going to do some jokes, some announcements, and then I'm going to bring on Megadeth. I'm not taking any time away from the band. Because yeah. I was always that guy in the audience when the local DJ went on stage and started talking. I was always like, shut the fuck up, dude. Come on, <laughs> just get the band on. And I'm thinking, yeah. Yeah. you know, Ozzy's not going to play I Don't Know because this guy's babbling for four minutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I had to tell the audience, I go, look, I'm not taking any time away from any of the bands. I'm scheduled to do five minutes, and Megadeth's coming on after that. So I'm... You know, just, you want to hear a few jokes? If not, go take a piss, go get a beer. But I got to be up here for five minutes. Right. And I try to do it like that and then slowly win them over like that. But just do quick, quick jokes, quick, you know, no, no more than 15 seconds set up punchline. 
Now, would it be music oriented, like, or would it be just like jokes, like music? I was like a cheerleader: music, sex, and drugs, and drinking. Right, right. I'm like, who who likes hip hop here? I know that's thirty seconds of booze. I'm like, okay, there's thirty seconds out of the way. <laughs> really? <laughs> wow, wow. I go, come on. There's no Kanye fans in here. Boo! You know, another fifteen <laughs> seconds. I'm like, perfect. And then I have a quick Kanye joke. Oh, that's amazing. So, so okay, so every time I would sing with a band and it's already been pre-planned, the truth is I can't enjoy their, their show until I sing and I'm, I'm done with whatever it is So because I'm filled with anxiety all the way to the point where I have to get on stage. So did you enjoy, like, did you actually, like, sit there after, like, your five minutes before Anthrax and, like, watch Anthrax, like... Like you would have in a normal show? No, no. I was always uptight because you never yeah. know. Every every set could be different. <laughs> yeah, and I yeah. know that in a comedy club, you could do two shows in one night. The first one is amazing. You could film an HBO special. And the second one, they're just staring at you. Yeah. And they're drunk and they're talking and it's a nightmare. So I knew I knew, know that going in. So I could never enjoy the shows until after till I introduced Slayer pretty much. Right. I was I was always on edge. Right. Yeah, that's how I always felt. And I and sometimes I I'd be like, you know, asked to sing and it's really an honor and stuff, but it's like, wow, this really does suck cuz I can't even like watch the the band without like, you know, fucking breaking down. I'm I'm too nervous. So it was a it was like a Catch twenty two. It's a catch twenty two when you do those things because it's a cool gig to get. I mean, those three. It bands, is, but then the whole the whole time you just thinking, man, I got to go up on stage a little bit. I got to do. Oh man. Yeah. I know. I, I yeah. I, I don't like that either. Yeah, like when we like sometimes there's been tours where we've asked a band that we really like to open for us, and they say yes, and the tour is happening. I'm too nervous because we haven't played yet to even watch them. Like there's whole tours that go by, I don't even see them. Right. And I feel like a faker because I said that, you know, you know, I really love you guys, but I haven't even seen you because I'm too nervous. So, yeah, I've always wondered about that, especially as a comedian. You're totally out of your element at a at a and especially at a metal show there. I mean, fuck, it's just wow. That's a lot. That's that is like I mean, comedians opening up for music artists you know, they think they have it hard. Try doing that in front of a metal crowd. Holy cow. That's a <coughs> like talk about being thrown to the wolves. I mean, that it's, it's no, like, I know. I there was a time when me and Don Jameson were offered like to open for Rob Zombie on a tour, and they go, All right, you guys do like 25 minutes, 25 to 30 minutes. Both of you go up on stage, we'll have a couple stools up there. And you guys some tell jokes and tell stories from that metal show, and I'm like, that's not going to work. Yeah, no, it's not. <laughs> There's no. We're going to sit on stools for 25 <laughs> to 30 minutes before Rob Zombie. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah, just get in and out. That's right. Fuck. Yeah, so that just never worked out. But you know, look, I like going to comedy clubs too. You like to perform in front of your audience too, which is always fun. But you know, yeah. I like a challenge here and there. Yeah, I get bored easily. That's why I always pump out new material because I get bored of the material I'm doing, and the crowd can feel it. Like with a comic, like the joke could be working in the beginning, and it's doing really well on stage. Everyone's laughing, then all of a sudden it starts to drop off, and no one's laughing at it anymore, or barely laughing. Like, man, what? What's going on? I'm still saying it the same way, but I think the audience can feel that you're not passionate about the joke anymore. Right. Right. Wow. 
Yeah, it's, it's interesting that people can feel it. I don't necessarily think I can, but I guess when you're in a whole kind of group mentality, like a mob mentality, I guess you could, yeah. Well, the comic knows, like I know, because I know a joke that I've been doing and would get an applause break, and it's like the first couple months, it's it's my best joke, and I can go on at the end. That could be my last joke to close my show out, and all of a sudden, it's not working as well. I'm like, what's going on? I'm saying it the same exact way. Right. Wow. Yeah, I guess you gotta be with you for every single show. To- it's almost you know you know as a you know you're performing a certain song, you know, and it's doing well. You could you could see the crowd reaction. All of a sudden, it's not working as well anymore. Yeah, no, no, it's and you true. go, you might want to take that one out of the set. It's really not working. I don't know yeah. why. Yeah, no, it's true. Yeah, fuck. Yeah, I guess jokes are just like songs. Yeah, but uh, another thing I wanted to mention to you because we haven't really talked about it since it happened, and it happened a few years ago. But we were kind of, in a roundabout way, on the same show together, which is crazy. Um, Californication happened the last season. I started getting emails and texts from people asking me if I'd seen Californication. And so when I did, I was blown away. Nobody told us that there was a character named Danko Jones on the, on the show. And then you pop up in an episode or two later. And so I texted you and I said, Jim, what, what's up? Is this, is this what, like, is this like meet the creeps gone Californication? Like, <laughs> cause uh, you guys, you and Don always throw out my name on some of your skits and some of your calls. And then there's this character on the show named after me and you're on the show there, I had to ask you, like, what went down with that? Because we still don't know the full story. Well, I know that the Tom Kapanis, who's the guy who created the show, he would write all the episodes. He was a big metalhead. Um, and I was at my, my manager knew his, uh, the casting agent for that, for that uh, show. And I was out in California taping that metal show. And she, he goes, hey, you want to go meet with Tom? He's, uh, you know creator of a californication he goes you know he's a big metalhead maybe he'll give you a role on the show i said yeah so i went all over there i sat in his office for like an hour just talking metal he had slayer posters on the wall so he knew everything about metal he was a huge fan watched the tv show wow he's like i'm gonna try to get you on a show wow he goes you want to be on i go yeah he goes what do you want to do i go whatever and then he called me like two weeks later he goes you want to play a pimp and i'm like absolutely (laughs) he goes all right you're in Wow. That's so I don't cool. know exactly how he used the name, your name in an episode, but I know he was a big metalhead. So maybe, I mean, maybe from listening to my albums or he just, I'm sure he just knew you from the, from the metal scene. Yeah. Wow. That's so cool, man. Yeah. I texted you. I'm like, Jim, do you know what, what, do you know anything about this? Because <laughs> <laughs> we were, we were all just yeah, like, we love doing that on our prank calls. Yeah. Like, uh, we love doing that to telemarketer calls. Like the telemarketers, like, hi, I want to sell you a mortgage. I'm like, hold on, can I? I just want to put my roommate Danko Jones on the yeah. phone for a second. <laughs> There's no reason to say someone's full name or even his name. You could just say, I want to put my roommate on the phone. But we have you to get know, our friend's name. I know. I thought it was wick. I mean, I thought it was awesome. I loved it. I loved it. Um, but because you know you were connected with the show after, I think it came. I think you showed up like a sh- episode after or something, and I'm like, whoa. Here's a clue. It's Jim. <laughs> so I texted you. But yeah, you, that, I think the, the message you gave me was something like, uh, dude's a big metalhead. Big yeah, I think guy. that was it. I mean, yeah. I don't know. I don't know how else that happened. But I know, he, you know, it was always a ton of metal references in all the episodes. Yeah. There was always stuff going on. Yeah. 
I just wanted to end with with something that's upcoming for you, which is you've got a new book out coming out, I believe, in February. Everybody yep. is awful except you. <laughs> Everybody is awful except you. So so um, tell me about this book. Like this is your first book, right? Yeah. Well, the book is based on my podcast. My podcast is I, I just rant about like, you know, social media pretty much <laughs> yeah, each yeah, week. Like, if, you know, people's bad Facebook posts or <laughs> them on Instagram, yeah. you know, all this stuff. So I, I just I have fans send in um, send in like a bad Facebook post or an inspirational quote or something like that. And I, and I make fun of them. Right. So, right, I, you know, right. and then basically this book is based on my podcast. I transcribe parts of my podcast. I made it into a book. Oh, that's really cool. That's really cool. Um, cause I, yeah, I want to, you know, cause it's just basically, you know, when you people, you know, people brag on social media yeah. or they're, they're looking for attention, you know, you know, the person that posts on Facebook, uh, I'm on my way to the hospital and that's it. <laughs> yeah. and yeah, you go, right. Okay. So now you read 20, are you okay? Yeah. Are you, yeah. Is everything all right? I wish if I lived in New Jersey, I'd, I'd be there. Yeah. Uh, you want me to meet you there? Oh my God. Is And then it's, you know, oh, they found out I just have a cough. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Like people have to to tell the world every single minute of their lives, and and so when Facebook started, I was so surprised how willing everybody was to expose their personal lives to everyone else. Like I thought that was insane, and now it's just become commonplace. Everybody's so used to it, which I find fucked up. The new trend is, and I've talked about it in the book is. People will take pictures of a loved one on their deathbed. Oh, my God. And, and then take it like when they're just about ready to die. They take that one. And they're in the picture. Like, so they took a picture of themselves. So they probably had to take like seven different takes. <laughs> right. right. And then the person's dead. And then the next picture this is a whole collage of pictures. Them going to the funeral at the wake. A picture of the, the person in the coffin. In the open, open coffin. And then at the funeral you know, with the coffin going in the ground and them as a pallbearer. It's humble. And that's what they post on Facebook. They give you a whole update on what's going on. That's, I mean, I think people have forgotten what, you know, good taste or bad taste is. That's insane. I mean, that's insane. Taste. You think that person that's in that coffin wants everybody on Facebook to see them on their deathbed <laughs> when they look like crap and they got all these, you know, tubes in them. That's and then when nuts. they're dead. Yeah. That's nuts. That's crazy. So, yeah, it's a, it's a lot about that and just, you know, different chapters. A lot of stuff of me growing up and all the pranks I pulled and right. all that stuff. That usually starts off the chapters. And then I go, you know, bad, bad license plates and, uh, you know, the bad wedding music. I, there's a whole chapter on that about the corny wedding songs that they play. I, I, I look forward to this. This is great. I've got a book coming out uh, next year as well. And so... It, I wanted to ask you about like the whole process of making the book for, cause for me, I'm so used to like, you know, you write a song, you record a song in a few months, it's out and you're talking about how you made it or whatever. But the book world is so slow. It takes a longer time for things to move. How, how was your experience with that? Same thing. I yeah. mean, I started this thing writing it three years ago Yeah, and it's finally coming out. I basically thought it was done like two and a half years ago. Yeah, same here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's insane how long it takes. <laughs> yeah. But it's good. I mean, I'm glad that it's 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 coming out. 
And I'm glad to when see. When is yours coming out? Mine's coming out uh, May, June of next year. Okay. So it's still still a few months away. Um, but are you going to be doing like press for Everybody is Awful um, the same way you would maybe like for a CD coming out on Metal Blade or, or something like that or a DVD release? Or- yeah. Yeah, I'm going to go. Um, yeah, I'm going to be doing. I don't know exactly what. They're all lining up now. But yeah, any, any podcasts or TV shows, radio shows, all of that stuff, whatever I can to get it out there. Well, and I start pretty much, you know, starting right away. Pretty, you know, it's it's you know, you can pre-order it now, so people are pre-ordering and, and all the stuff. And yeah, it's going to be a heavy press load. I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to be doing a book tour, but yeah. you know, each city I'm in, when I do stand up, I'll have the books and I can sign them afterwards. Right. So right. that's kind of what I'll do. Um, and that's coming out in in February, right? Like next February twentieth. It's up on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and all that stuff. You can pre-order. There's going to be an audio book too. I'm doing an audio book of it too. So. Oh, great, great. That's yeah. cool. Yeah, um, pretty sure you're sick and tired of ass answering these questions, but I got to do it because it's the podcast and people know you and know what you're associated with. But last week there was a that metal show kind of Christmas party. If I'm if I'm correct. Um, which, you know, I guess begs the question, what's in the future for you guys? Um, you know, is there anything on, on any level? No, I mean, the thing with, with that metal show is we were on VH1 Classic in the States. It was a little channel. They left us alone there. We're the only original programming. Yeah. Nobody knew what they were doing there. So they just let our show be, and they repeated it like 20 times so people could watch it. Yeah. So there was really no pressure there at all from any uh, you know network execs or anything like that yeah um so we had a nice little home nobody bothered us um when the show got canceled then it was viacom owns uh, owns uh, vh1 classic along with vh1 mtv comedy central nickelodeon they're losing their ass they you know their ratings have been down like 40 percent no one's watching mtv anymore no one's watching comedy central anymore nickelodeon all the kids are watching on their ipads or netflix so their their revenue is down so someone comes in uh, like a big corporation and makes a bunch of cuts yeah and our show was one of the cuts because they were like hey we don't need original programming and the channel basically went away they just got rid of the channel altogether vh1 classic right so it wasn't really we had an agent that brought it out to hollywood to say hey maybe some other network will pick up this show nobody in hollywood even heard of the show before (laughs) nobody they go like what is it i don't even know what it was on nobody's radar Oh my God, that's insane! I I know. I, what I find so charming about that metal show was that you could sense that exactly what you said. You guys were left to your own devices, and you were doing this on your own terms. And that's what was so charming about it. I was like, wow, they're really talking about this. You know, it seems like nobody's interfering with them going on and on about UFO. I can't believe. <laughs> I know, right? You would think that some network executives like, what is this band UFO? Stop talking about. <laughs> yeah, them. you keep bringing them up. <laughs> <laughs> no, the, you know, cuz we we realize like we we me Don and Eddie sat around and go, look, all right, if we're watching this show at home, we just want to hear these guys talk. We want to hear Marilyn Manson, Kirk Hammett, or Steve Harris, come on, or whatever. And we just want to hear what they're going to say instead of us just messing around the whole time because we're comics and this right. and that. You know, right. we're friends. But, you know, let's let's give these guys, a, a, you know, a platform to talk because that's what someone at home is going to want to see. 
Yeah. So that's what we, we tried to base it around that. Like, let, let, you know, let those guys do their thing. We don't need, we can be funny here and there, but let's, we don't want to make it a comedy show. Right. But I mean, a lot of what, what you guys tuned into and what the show is so great is a lot of metalheads, you know, we just sit around and we bust on bands, you know, we just break balls and, that was what was so great about that show too, because it 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 did include that element of heavy metal. Because sometimes heavy metal, when when someone gets a hold of it who doesn't really understand the sh- the music, it's all serious and it's supposed to be serious because the music sounds serious. But really, if you really talk to the fans, we just bust balls about our favorite bands, and so you guys really caught that. I thought that was yeah. You know, like who else would sit around for hours and talk about you know what the best ACDC record is and argue <laughs> yeah, about it? Yeah, but we yeah. knew we've been doing that conversation in bars for years, so let's bring yeah. on the show and talk about it. Yeah, that's I think what got everyone that I, I loved it, and so I think it's really missed um, by everyone who saw the show. If you haven't seen the show, then all you have to do is watch it, and then you'll realize how great a show it was. Um, and I think a lot of people want to see it return the same way a lot of people wanted to see Arrested Development turn return. Um, in, yeah, you in, never in, know. Like some yeah. shows come back, some shows are gone for a while, and then all of a sudden they they reappear. So yeah, you know we can't rule out anything. But right now there's nothing there's nothing cooking with the show. But right. somebody in a year or two can go, hey, starting a network or, or some guy takes over and goes, I want that metal show on. Let's get it back together. So we're, there's always hope. Yeah, because a, a friend of mine is in the you know TV business, and uh, he just keeps telling me that all they want is content, content. There's everyone's starved for content, so it's just a matter of finding the right channel to put you guys on again. Yeah, look, possible. and our show is a niche show. You know, yeah, we have yeah. a niche audience. Yeah, we couldn't go on after American Idol. You know what no. I mean? We get killed <laughs> no. if we have, you know, the bass player from L.A. Guns on after <laughs> American Idol. Right. Like, we would last one episode. Yeah. Like, what is this? <laughs> so there's really, you know, not a lot of homes for us. No, no. I, I, and yeah. that's nothing against L.A. Guns. It's just that nobody, no. 95% of, the, you know, America absolutely. has no idea who they are. Yeah, absolutely. No, nothing against them. But, yeah, it's it, it was... You know, to end on that note, even though you're probably tired of answering the question. No, I, I get it. I understand. Yeah. Look, I've been on TV shows before. Same thing with Crank Anchors. I was on Crank Anchors back in yeah. from 2002 to 2006, and people still ask, is that show coming back? I'm like, it's been 11 years. Probably not. <laughs> you know? <laughs> right. Right, right. You know, it's just like, a, like, is your ex girlfriend going to come back after eleven <laughs> years? You know, like some girl you dated? Nah, probably. I don't know. It's been eleven years. I don't think she's interested anymore. <laughs> you know, I right. think that's. I think that you know that that is, that has sailed. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, hey, well, hey, Jim. Thanks a lot, man, for this. Uh, yeah. Thanks. Uh, all right. All right. Bye. Hi, John. How are you? This is calling about the extended vehicle protection for the Honda. Okay. My roommate, uh, Daniel Jones, is on the phone, too. Cause yeah, we both on the car. Just to verify that I have the correct vehicle information for you, I'm showing current mileage right now is right around 40,000. Yep. Um, is it just over or just under 40? I think it's right in the middle. Because our cutoff for um, certain pricing levels is 40,000. Maybe if we just drive the car in reverse. Yeah, will we be able right. to do that at all? Right, right. Just, just like Ferris Bueller's Day Off, right? What's you remember that? that movie? No. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, in that movie, they uh, they they cut school and uh, 
steal one of the kids' father's Ferraris and drive it around, and then they get all these miles on it. So they say, all right, let's put it in reverse and take the miles off. And then when they put it in reverse, it ends up like wrecking and everything goes to hell. (laughs) (laughs) It's pretty funny. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) It's not a Ferrari. It's a Honda Accord, so it should be a lot easier. Yeah. Uh, Uh, Show that movie. (laughs) I recommend it. It's a good movie.